0: Hey, this is Tim McCurdy, and welcome to Vine Pears Cocktail College, a weekly deep dive into classic cocktails that goes beyond the recipe with America's best bartenders. We're taking an overdue trip north of the border today as we pay a visit to Toronto with a possible quick detour across the pond. In doing so, we're afforded a similarly overdue exploration of Canadian whiskey and fernet both of which we've somehow managed to not cover until now. And who could be better to change that than Canada's very own Kate Bushell, the Director of Beverage and Education for the Barocco Group in Montreal. Now, Kate is not one of those industry pros who achieves such a position then leaves the bar forever. I no shade thrown at those who do. But cross the door at the Atwater Cocktail Club and Milky Way Cocktail Bar and there's a strong chance you might bump into her. She's a real one as you'll find out very soon. It's an Amaro Spike Spin on the Manhattan, a deep dive into the wonderful world of rye, and basically just a damn good time. And it's all right here on the Cocktail College podcast. We're in the Cocktail College studio here at Vine Pair's New York City headquarters. But all the way from Canada today we have Kate Bushell. Kate. Thank you so much for joining us.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: I'm going to I'm going to come clean here. I feel Somewhat guilty that when we were discussing the cocktails that we would cover, it did strike me that you are a first Canadian guest on this show. Certainly the first in the studio. And I was like, how do you feel about doing the Toronto? (laughs) But I feel bad because you're from Montreal, based in Montreal.
1: Yeah, but I'm a Canadian from like everywhere. Mm -hmm. Not just Montreal. Exactly, right? But I didn't want to, I'm like...
0: How terrible is that? Just pigeonholing one nation into one drink. Like, I feel like that's bad. But also,
1: this is a great cocktail. It's a great cocktail. Also, one of the plethora of cocktails that are named after a place. Mm -hmm. So, why not?
0: What's your favorite, if you don't mind me asking? Because you have have a couple of great contenders in there. The Manhattan, Bronx, Singapore Sling, if you will.
1: Okay. I do enjoy a well-made Sling, Mm -hmm. but I don't know. I think maybe the Toronto.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's good.
1: I mean, I think the 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 light menthol note mm-hmm. from the fernet really kind of brings it for me compared to like a standard Manhattan, and I'm not that spirit forward mm-hmm. normally, so I really like I really crave that freshness note, mm-hmm. and that I think is why the Toronto is one of the best. Yeah, spirit forward cocktails.
0: I couldn't agree with you more. You mentioned the fact there that this has Frenette too. So that's yeah. really fun that, that this, again, I think is the first Frenette cocktail. So we get to explore that, which is near and dear to almost all bartenders. Okay, you
1: all first. So first Canadian bartender, mm-hmm. first Canadian cocktail, mm-hmm. or at least named after Canadian space. For all intents and purposes. Uh, yeah. We're going to talk Canadian whiskey first time.
0: Can't wait for that. And first for (laughs) net. Bring it home. This is a big one. I can't believe we've gotten this far and not done the Toronto before. And that stumbling there right there is something else I want to bring up here before we get going. Because I've had the pleasure of spending some time with some great Canadian bartenders. We spoke about this previously, you know, off air. Um, Some of your fine colleagues from the same city, but also from Toronto. And within a week of hanging out with them, I'm like, okay. it's kind of like, you know, when you go on holiday and you come back and you start saying paella as if you're Spanish. And it's like, no, dude, you were there for one week. (laughs) So I came back from this trip saying Toronto and Montreal, And what am I going with for for this? Am I calling it the Toronto, as I would say normally, or am I calling it the Toronto? Is it bad for me to call it anything else?
1: I mean, I always say to people who are like speaking French, but not Francophone, Obviously, you need to say things in a way that is going to be a bit more natural to you. Mm-hmm. But if you really want to go full fledged Canadian, mm-hmm. definitely it's Toronto.
0: Toronto. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. There we go. All right, I'm doing it. That's it for the rest of the Toronto. episode. I'm losing my accent here day by day. Anyway, so you know, <laughs> so what was through. that
1: T in the middle? <laughs> no one knows. <laughs> Toronto.
0: All right. Um, well, let's do it. So you mentioned Canadian whiskey. Fernet, anything else in this drink for those who haven't heard of it? Any other ingredients there?
1: Splash of simple, a little bit of Ango, mm-hmm. or some aromatic.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, Bob's your uncle. There you go. Nice.
1: Stir, stir straight up.
0: Yeah. <laughs> and you also teased the fact that this may or may not be fully Canadian. What do we know about the history of this drink?
1: So... We know that it first appeared in Robert Vermeer's 1922 book, Cocktails, How to Mix Them. Um, But in that recipe, they don't mention that it needs to be Canadian whiskey. They just say rye whiskey. Mm -hmm. But in 1922, we can definitely assume that it would have been a Canadian whiskey uh, just because of the predominance of Canadian whiskey, especially in the United States, um, up until 2012. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, So... For those who don't know, Canadian whiskey has an extremely long-standing tradition in the United States and was the most consumed whiskey in the United States until 2012. And then American whiskey took over. And yeah, like big eyes, right? You're like, what? I'm shocked. Like, how do we know so little about Canadian whiskey when it was, in fact, most consumed here? Mm -hmm. So, um, and obviously I say here because...
0: We're here I'm today. In,
1: I'm in New York. <laughs> um, but yeah, so that's kind of like how it started. And then, and it was originally called the Frenette cocktail. And then the only thing that we know is that in later books, Dave uh, David Embury's The Fine Art of Mixing Drinks Uh, Then it was named the Toronto, and it kind of just stuck, right? Mm -hmm. And I think it's because, obviously, Fernet was an ingredient, and we don't necessarily want to call a cocktail by its predominant ingredient. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, so that's how the name kind of stuck. Now, that's pretty much all we know about the history itself. But it definitely has become an an emblem cocktail for Canada, that and the Hotel Georgia, Mm -hmm. which uh, stems from Vancouver. And... You know, those are really the two main Canadian cocktails. That oh, false. Oh my goodness, how could I forget the bloody Caesar? Oh, um, anyone wants to come at me, I'm happy to. I'm happy to fight to the death on this one. Mm-hmm. Bloody Caesar over bloody Mary, man. Any day.
0: There's just something about putting (laughs) clam juice into my (laughs) cocktail that I'm not sure that I love. But then again, I will happily drink some scotch out of a bivalve shell, such as an oyster. There you go. There you go.
1: So what is
0: the difference? I just, you know what it is? It's seeing it shelf stable in supermarkets, (laughs) not refrigerated, that I'm like, how is this not a recipe for disaster?
1: Fair. (laughs) Fair. But the end result is better. Yeah, in my opinion. Um can I ask you own.
0: also am I right in thinking and I hope that I am here because I'm sure I've written it somewhere at some point but that rye is in Canada rye is almost used as a synonym for whiskey yeah. even for whiskeys that might not technically be rye or rye as we know them in the modern standard.
1: 100%. So I want to take you down a bit of like Canadian whiskey lane, mm-hmm. like the the history, because it's a really, really interesting history. So um, it is probably one of the most interesting and it, it's really long suffered a gambit of misconceptions. Yeah. Um, it has always been synonym with rye, even though it was never necessarily high rye content. Mm-hmm. Um, but rye does always fare better in the colder Canadian climate in terms of agriculture right so we started farming a lot more rye earlier on and um that being said it's like what i find most interesting is that it can obviously it's one of the oldest uh whiskeys and we started we were the first to start aging whiskey before even scotland Mm -hmm. before ireland and definitely before the u.s so the most interesting part I think is the fact that Canada re- was the first to start aging whiskey. It, obviously it starts and stems from the fact that Canada was pushing a lot of liquid south of the border, especially during the American Revolution and during the Civil War. And so during that time there was no more whiskey production in the US Got or should it. I should I say there was no more moonshine production. Mm-hmm. Right? So we were funneling a lot of liquid, but we also had to store it. And so what happens is we would take barrels and then we'd have to clean them because oftentimes they were used by fishmongers and whatnot. Yeah. And Ooh. so, I mean, obviously you don't want fish stench <laughs> in, your, in your moonshine. And so they would char the barrels to clean them out. Huh. And then they would fill them up and then roll them down. And, like, they would. that's how they got stored and that's how they moved their way south. But... It's actually in 1887 that the government of Canada imposed aging. Mm -hmm. So, uh, interestingly enough, we'd like to say that it was, like, because of the flavor that it brought and whatever. (laughs) No, not at all. Obviously, like a lot of things government imposed, it's about taxes. Uh So, excise taxes on resting barrels. That's how it all started. So, whiskey producers started funneling money towards the government, Mm -hmm. which... To this day we can thank Hiram Walker, Gooderim and Worts, Corby, Seagrams. We can thank all of the major Canadian whiskey producers for essentially building Canada's railway infrastructure. Wow. A lot of our buildings, a lot yeah, it's it's really impressive, it's fascinating. I can't remember the the exact year but at one point Gooderim and Warts in downtown Toronto was the largest distillery in the like in the world. Huh.
0: That's cr- that's incredible.
1: Yeah. It was like humongous. Um, obviously, it's no longer the case. But mm. um, so, eighteen eighty-seven, and then that was a one-year age requirement, and then in eighteen ninety, uh, moved up to two years, and uh, nineteen years later is when Scotland and Ireland followed suit. Hmm. So we're looking at a pretty significant difference in terms of that that uh, tradition. And in the United States, it's only 19, uh, 1964. And so we're
0: talking about here like federal or, or regulations, set in stone regulations on that aging is a requirement and perhaps also with a time period attached to that. Yeah,
1: exactly. Mm-hmm. So that's like one of the very interesting parts about Canadian whiskey, I think, in my opinion. Um, and then obviously, the popularity of canadian whiskey has been so intensely attached to history in the united states right so we're talking about the civil war yes um that's when we had like a really interesting boom in canadian whiskey production Mm -hmm. but then also obviously prohibition kind of put a nail in that because closing down production in where we were funneling most of our liquid Mm -hmm. kind of hurt a lot of our producers so um Oh, yeah, it was, like, right before Prohibition that Gitterrand was, like, the largest. But then, obviously, a lot of producers had to, like, downsize. That hurt us a lot. And then uh, when Prohibition ended, we became popular again because... We had liquid. Yes. So then we could very quickly funnel liquid back Mm -hmm. south. And then obviously Al Capone era and everything. And like we were really good at uh,
0: smuggling, smuggling whiskey across the border there. I mean, it was happening.
1: And also Hiram Walker is a really important figure in that because Hiram Walker was an American, but he was based in Detroit, but he went back and forth between Windsor, Ontario and Detroit. And he opened the distillery in Windsor. Hmm. And so it was like a lot of going back and forth, which obviously was the closest window to bring in anything from Canada to the U.S. Um, But yeah, so I think like Canadian whiskey is super interesting. That being said, it's also really kind of finicky and funny where it's a category that we can do kind of anything. Right. There's the funny like 909 rule, which is we're allowed to add 9.09% Flavoring, coloring, whatever, and it still can be called a Canadian whiskey. Yeah. So it's like, you want an apple whiskey? I, yeah, sure.
0: <laughs> I, we'll call it Canadian whiskey anyways.
1: Um, you want a spiced Canadian whiskey? Okay, cool. But yeah. So you know what I should have brought It's Super down for weird you. and interesting in that sense. But yeah. it also allows for a lot of movement and a lot of development or playing around with the category. So it's it's very wide. We still call it rye, even though it's not necessarily 51% plus yep. um, in rye content. And that's really just that that history of rye production. Mm.
0: But And that's for those bottles that are sold in Canada. I would assume that those sold in the U.S. as rye whiskey might have to, or if it's Canadian well, rye. if it's labeled
1: Canadian whiskey.
0: Canadian whiskey, yeah, or Canadian rye. I don't know. Yeah, that makes sense. But.
1: We just call it Canadian whiskey. Mm-hmm. Like even brands like Lot 40 that are 100% rye. Yeah are labeled Canadian whiskey and then it's just like 100% right. Yeah. Or like Canadian club do that too. Yeah. That's,
0: that's fantastic. So I feel like I also, apologies for this, I feel like I'm cut across your history of the Toronto here, or the, the, the Toronto. So was there any, was there anything else, sorry, that we wanted to add? Sorry, I'm jumping around here, but I love all this history. I love all these facts. It's it's incredible. Um, but um, I, I think we got to Embry. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and is that? That's pretty much it. Or if I, know, I recall, it's like
1: the shortest history of a cocktail.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I believe wasn't there. There was a guy you mentioned the hotel, but there, the guy might have popularized the drink in London. Some people say, but ultimately, then it comes back and it becomes synonymous with with Canada Exactly.
1: And, you know, yeah. and now I think it's probably one of yeah. We're like we're now very attached to it. Mm-hmm. I mean, we, as I said, like we don't have that many cocktails that are extremely uh, popular that represent Canada mm-hmm. or that stem from Canada. And so in that sense, it was like really easy to kind of, you know, with the cocktail revival in our country and in Toronto specifically to kind of take that and kind of run with it as, yeah, as a front runner. Yeah. Like, I mean.
0: And then Frenette being in there too, which uh, we'll get into in a little while, but yeah. there's, there's that it's, it's super fascinating to me though that how often that is the case for whiskey producing countries basically beyond the U.S., you know, you talk about Ireland, Scotland, and Canada. Between the three of them, there's only a handful of classic whiskey cocktails made Mm -hmm. using those base distillates, right? And probably a lot of them were concocted here in the U.S. too. I think that just speaks to, yeah, like cocktail culture historically in the U.S. versus the rest of the world, where maybe people are just sipping it neat or on the rocks or whatever.
1: Well, I mean, let us not forget how often we get, or... Used to get chastised by Scotch whiskey lovers.
0: Yep. Yep. And
1: Irish whiskey lovers for mixing. Mm -hmm. You know, it was like, don't you dare put a drop of water in my (laughs) Scottish whiskey. Yeah. You know, and you're like, okay, well, get over it. Mm Because, yeah, I will mix it. And uh, you're still going to love that 25 year old Bullmore if it's (laughs) in a cocktail. Um,
0: <laughs> right? And if it can't hold up, we, we say this all the time, like if the if the expensive ultra-aged whiskey can't hold up in a cocktail, it doesn't befit its price tag then.
1: I mean, and I think it's the case for all spirits. Like...
0: A hundred percent.
1: You need to be able to play around with them. Mm-hmm. I mean, we can play around with wine. We can play around with anything beverage, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, and I shouldn't be made to feel bad about having mixed in in something. Mm-hmm. I think it's... For the longest time, though, like, Canadian whiskey was always the funny one. It was, like, just a Ryan Ginger. Yeah. You know, like, I'll have a Ryan Ginger. And you knew that they were going to pull out either Canadian Club, Crown Royal, or, like, Forty Creek. Mm -hmm. Or maybe not, like, I mean, Forty Creek's not even that old. But, yeah, like, they would. those were, like, the two primary ones. Like, I grew up with that. Yeah. Everyone I knew in our family was, like, Ryan Ginger. Ryan Ginger. It's funny the ginger to thing bar. too. It was like as popular ordering a Ryan Ginger as it was a gin and tonic. <laughs> I mean, I, that's what I used to drink. I know one of I know Jameson
0: had a big. I want to say both Jameson and Johnny Walker have had big marketing pushes back in the day of Jameson and Ginger or Johnny and Ginger. And again, I'm like why Ginger is the mix? I, I don't know, but I, I'm here for it.
1: Listen, I mean, rum had Coke. <laughs> Obviously, we needed to find a reason for something else. And Canada, like, has Canada Dry. Mm-hmm. The UK has Schweppes. Yep. I kind of th- it, it just kind of made sense. Yeah, it
0: makes sense. You know? It's a good one.
1: Yeah. All right, so we've covered, the, we've covered the
0: components there. We've done a bit of a Canadian whiskey deep dive. I want us to return in terms of more specific mash bills and brands in a minute. But let's go with Fernet. Let's move on to Fernet because, um, <laughs> well, A, it's just so iconic, but B, like I think a lot of people just associate fernet with fernet branca when actually this is a whole category of drinks. So what do you want to tell us about that? Because this was the freaking this was originally the fernet cocktail apparently. So yeah, there well we yeah,
1: go. I mean, well I love that you say that. <laughs> like everyone just thinks fernet branca. I'm like, yeah, sorry. Right. Um. Yeah. No. Fernet, a beautiful category in the Omaris. Mm-hmm. Uh. Dry. High octane. Typically, you know, around forty percent mm-hmm. ABV. Um, and super dry, really very bitter, but always has like that beautiful little menthol note yeah. to come like caress and like make you forget that you're drinking essentially, yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Something that's very challenging, right? So
1: challenging.
0: Did you like Fernet the first time you tried it? Oh,
1: heck no.
0: Disco- how was, how did like you have how it I really as a I really tried to
1: like curb my hell there. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, I hated it. I mean, bitterness is such an acquired taste. Yeah. Like, for those who don't know, there is such a thing as a super taster, right? And I think that is also another really amazingly interesting, uh, like, biochemical things that happens with humans. You know, I mean, think about us. Thousands of years ago, (laughs) roaming around and, like, some people went and were were going to pick berries and gather fruits and veggies and whatever and— And they had to taste things. And bitterness is nature's way of often reminding you that something is dangerous. Mm -hmm. And so here we are imbibing things (laughs) that in great quantities, Mm -hmm. or sometimes not even that great, can actually hurt us.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Our body's physically telling us not to drink it because it might be poison. You know, like quinine. Yes. (laughs)
1: Excellent. (laughs) (laughs) You know, you're pregnant, don't drink quinine. (laughs) Like... (laughs) Abuse. I didn't know that. Oh yeah, yeah. It can it can bring on a an abortion. Oh
0: well, I mean, that's that's good health advice there. Or, and, uh, or,
1: sorry, a miscarriage. I should I should rephrase that.
0: Yes, but how was the first way that you tried Frenette, just as a shot? Was that already making its way around the, the the bar scene in the city that you were working at the time? Do you remember it?
1: So funny. I don't think I remember the first time I had Fournette. Mm-hmm. I mean, oddly enough, I can definitely remember the first time I had Campari. <laughs> yeah. I, I think, Similar one, though. Like, I, I remember doing a test when you're like about the, the super taster. So, are you a super taster, Kate? I am. Wow. And so, super taster really just means that you're able to detect that very well, which clearly means that somewhere very far down the line, mm-hmm. my family was more so gatherers than, mm-hmm. you know, than hunters. hunters. <laughs> cool. <laughs> so, uh, that's my genetics. Great. Uh, <laughs> It's a fun thing to find out. So, yeah, the first time I had Campari, I was like, oh, my goodness. And I know that it was, like, intense every single time that I had Fournette, but I think that by then... Oh, no, I do remember. Yeah, okay. Yeah, first time I had Fournette, it was like I, I was working at Mel Necessaire, which is like a bar in Montreal, more tropical-inspired. and mm-hmm. um, I remember being like, whoa, this, like, this is really intense. I don't think I really ever want to drink this again. But it wasn't like when I tasted Malort. <laughs> like, that one was just like... I know I never want to drink this again. <laughs> and still to say, like, I cannot. But Fernet was like, it came around because I was introduced to Fernet, yes, on its own, but also kind of integrated in cocktails. And like a splash of Fernet, what it can do, like when like I said earlier, it just brings a note of freshness. And you can sometimes use Fernet as a replacement for a bitters because there is not a lot of sugar in it compared to all the other Amari. Mm-hmm. So it's like you're able to get, like, a punch of flavor, a little bit of freshness, um, and it not be your traditional bitters. Mm-hmm. Have you had Fernet Kong Coca? Oh, I love Frenet con Coca. Argentina's, yeah. man, like, <laughs> global cocktail.
0: The, I, think, I do believe 75% of the world's Fernet is consumed in, in Argentina. It is. Right? They
1: had to open...
0: A distillery. I
1: ...in know. Argentina. Yeah. Like, of Yeah.
0: It's wild,
1: mind-boggling.
0: I, I lived out there for a couple of years, and it took me a long time to appreciate that drink, though. And again, purely because of Frenette. But I guess what I guess what I'm getting at here is that feels like oftentimes bartenders embrace challenging products and liquids. Sometimes, maybe part of it is a flex, but I think the other part of it too is like if you spend your whole working life tasting things then the stuff that's kind of approachable and and, and one-dimensional soon becomes very boring.
1: I think also we learn to bartend and don't necessarily do so in a bar with, like, 100 million ingredients. Mm-hmm. But also sometimes it's looking at what's in our, like, old liquor cabinet from our childhood homes or in our grandparents. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and then we discover these ingredients. Like, I mean, first time I ever had Jennifer. And I was like, my grand, like, my grandparent said Jennifer. And I was like, uh, <laughs> this is weird. Okay. It really is weird. Um, and then not understanding it. But, so I think, like, that part of that is kind of seeing what you can do with them. And I do mean, obviously, like, at-home bartenders. When we're, like, in professional bartenders, we do with what we have in our bars. But not all bars have a ton of things. But um, also... I think sometimes it's about like reviving old things that we read about and we're like, oh, that's really cool. Like the revival of sherry, you know, I mean, how many grew up thinking that sherry was only cream sherry Harvey's and something to be put in desserts and cooking. Mm -hmm. And today, I mean, I could spend the rest of my life drinking sherry.
0: It's, uh, It's a really great example. And I think another part of this, you know, cocktail renaissance that's happened over the past 20 years, maybe a little bit more. I think has been this desire to look look into history, right, and yeah. revive these old recipes or start reviving old products or categories or whatever or re-embracing things like that. Like, that's what it's all been about.
1: Yeah, reading old cocktail books. Yeah. Learning about, like, what people were working with back in the day. Understanding, you know, like, how many people went down the rabbit hole of the dis- the difference between cookie americano, Lile, kina, kina, like, <laughs> kina Lille and Lile. When thinking about how to make a Vesper. You know, yeah. like, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> things or, like yeah. that. We 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 dive down because we know that we only have access to certain products in certain regions. And then we find out about them from global, larger markets. And we're kind of jealous about it. So mm-hmm. we try and find a way to, like, work in different ingredients that we have in our space. And I'm gathering that, so like, I won't lie. Part of me thinks that the person who first Created the Toronto, was like I just don't have any vermouth.
0: Honestly, yeah, that sounds so, feasible.
1: So um, let's try and find something else that we can add in there, and like, kind of maybe not improve, but
0: mm-hmm. make
1: something that is drinkable. And then you you taste it, and you're like, ooh, <laughs> yeah, I like this. Okay, cool. <laughs> this is the thing. We're making it a thing.
0: Nice, nice. Um, for Fernet specifically would Fernet Brand could be your go-to or are there any other brands that you enjoy mm. or that you might consider for this cocktail specifically
1: too? I do enjoy the Fred Gervais one. Okay. And the Del Professor. Mm-hmm. I do like the one. Or Antica, I guess. Mm. Yeah. I never, <laughs> that's one of my, <laughs> I never know which of their lines is like Del Pro <laughs> or which of their lines is like the, the distillery name. Yeah. I was like, Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, like which one is the producer? Yeah, it can be yeah. difficult, right?
1: <laughs> Anyways, whatever. <that laughs> Especially one. for
0: this category or like Amaro or like yeah. uh, vermouths too as well, like like that, yeah. Um,
1: yeah, no, I, I do enjoy those, but I think Fernet Branca is just so classic. Mm-hmm. Um, and it also has a really good mouthfeel. Yeah. And I think that some of the other Fernet's out there that I've been lucky enough to try are sometimes really good and flavorful. But then the mouthfeel is a, is a little limp. Yeah. And I think that if you're doing a cocktail, if you're making a cocktail that has a pretty high ratio of it in it, then it really does change something because you're really affecting mouthfeel. Mm-hmm. But then if you're just using like a bar spoon of it or whatever, might not. You know,
0: yeah, it won't have as much of an effect. Yeah. Uh, also, I'm sure, as with everything, there's a cost and availability oh. thing to think of. And I would I imagine saying. that Fernet Branca in Canada is probably the, the easiest and I, perhaps so, not at easy at to I get hold say, of. It, Nothing is, as my understanding over there.
1: Nothing's easy for us. But also, let's not forget that Italians love to stop working twice a year for extended periods of time. Mm-hmm. Good for them. Super happy for them.
0: Work-life balance. But uh,
1: then there's our periods of time that we normally start lacking in all their products. And we're like, crap, like running around everywhere trying to be like, I need some (laughs) Chinar. Mm -hmm. Oh, no, I need my Fernet, And it's like, (laughs) when is it coming back? I don't know. August?
0: (laughs) (laughs) I've seen Canadian bartenders on Instagram like... Pushing carts out from... Christina Vera is one I think I see a lot. Oh. And she's wonderful. Um, she was one of the Canadian friends yeah. on that trip that I went on. Yeah, and I've Love seen her on her Instagram. One of my best friends. She's amazing. Yeah. So I see her pushing carts around. What, is she just like buying it from the liquor store? Or is it more oh, like... Oh, she does. Are they yeah, government yeah, yeah. liquor stores at these things? What What is this phenomenon here in Canada?
1: So, yeah, each province works a little differently. Um, mm-hmm. Let's go west to east. Mm-hmm. So... <laughs> In British Columbia, it's partly government-run, but they also have a few um, semi-independent ones, um, which allows them a little bit more flexibility. Alberta is free-for-all. You can open your own liquor store. It's great. You can sell online. You have access to everything. Mm -hmm. Alberta is like the holy grail of spaces. (laughs) Like Canadian bartenders are all like, if only I could buy all my things from Alberta. But you can't.
0: Mm -hmm. Um, All that good oil money over there.
1: I know. Um, I won't lie. I don't know what it's like in Saskatchewan and Manitoba. <laughs> I feel very bad. I grew up there. Uh, and then Ontario and Quebec are 100% um, and New Brunswick and Nova Scotia. Yeah. They're all like 100% government run, mm-hmm. um, though they function a little differently. So it's like we have in Quebec, we need to purchase through specific stores that are for licensees because we need stamps on all our bottles. So very similar to um, North Carolina, Mm -hmm. of what I know. Um, And I think Texas, too, or something, I don't know. Um, But North Carolina, I'm sure of. Mm -hmm. But yeah, so we need stamps on all our bottles. In Ontario, they don't need stamps, but they do have a licensee number, but they can buy from any store. Mm -hmm. So yeah, so Christina loves to go to the LCBO, Uh which is the name of the store, and she'll buy carts and carts. We have ours delivered, Uh so we get pallets Every Friday, in all of our spaces, great. We're the Friday delivery. Everyone loves that at two p.m. Rush in to unbox all our booze. Um, But yeah, so we can only go to like specific stores. So that's why I don't always post me running around with With a trolley like Christina. (laughs) Um, But I do every now and again. Have to drive like three hours north to Quebec City to go and (sighs) raid their stores.
0: See, this is this is for crazy. Things. You're gonna ha- you you're you're earning a lot of sympathy here, I think, from our U- to U.S. bartender <laughs> audience who are like, we thought we had it bad in certain states, but uh, there we go. And that does explain why looking for an esoteric, smaller produced fernet for a cocktail on your menu probably is not the best idea, just for all of those yeah kind of admin reasons there.
1: Private import is also a little more difficult, depending on the province. Obviously, agents can't necessarily get things passed. And then there's also the concept of, like, they do government testing. Mm -hmm. So also really important to know and understand, like, the LCBO and the SAQ in Quebec together, well, actually individually, are the two largest wine and spirits importers in the world. But they keep it all there. It's wild. We sell a lot of it. We import obviously, a lot. But... They pick and choose. So in even interestingly enough, you know, being told as an agent that your product is not going to be reordered right away because they don't think that right now that's the flavor profile that they want. So like RTDs or whatever, like someone, a producer was telling me the other day. Now we developed another one because they were like, "No, this this summer we're looking only for tropical and fresh." That's crazy. <laughs> I was like, "I'm sorry, what?" That is
0: absolutely <laughs> crazy that is.
1: So yeah, so um little Fournette's, mm-hmm. great, but uh on most of my menus if if it's on there, it'll be like Nardini or oh yeah, I love Nardini. Mm-hmm. I forgot about that one. Uh it'll be like Nardini El Finette, or Fernet Branca. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then Canadian whiskey, one would assume
0: much easier to get hold of. Oh,
1: definitely.
0: Thank goodness. (laughs) Um, We mentioned Alberta there before. It's a a wonderful producer, a producer I've had the uh, fortune of visiting last year. I want to say it was last year. Yeah, and um, like, so you mentioned earlier, there's not a 51% minimum rule in Canada. But I feel like, especially uh, Lot 40, I think is is another one, right? Where Mm -hmm. you're talking... 100% 100% rye for a lot of these these whiskies or, or and 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 oftentimes also 100% unmalted is, is that correct or is that only Alberta? I know they have a, a, a oh, unmalted it varies. Yeah. yeah 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 it varies okay. from
1: producer to producer mm-hmm. we don't there is no um official rule about that mm-hmm. I think like it mostly depends on your mash bill yeah and the grains you're using right like i mean sometimes it's great to have it unmalted and then sometimes it's like You know, Mm -hmm. you're going to get more flavor if you do malt it.
0: And so for the listeners there, especially for not using malted barley, the malted portion, if it is so you have some unmalted rye and some malted rye in the mash bill, the malting helps get access to those sugars, which... Exactly. fermentation, alcohol, we all learned it at high school. Mm-hmm. Uh, we never thought it would be useful. Help unlock
1: that enzymatic process.
0: <laughs> yeah. There we go. Um, Whenever
1: did we all become chemists? Like, I don't know.
0: <laughs> In pursuit of alcohol apparently. Apparently. Um, but do you have any preferences then or just a particular profile that you're looking for uh, for this drink specifically, or what do you what comes to mind when you think about what sets Canadian whiskey apart?
1: I love a very high rye content whiskey in a Toronto. Mm-hmm. I like that kind of rye bread mm-hmm. note. I tend to steer away from super like dark oak varieties mm-hmm. for a Toronto. That being said, you know, I'm always willing to be proven otherwise. Um, but yeah, so I, I tend to very much go for a lot 40 and actually Alberta premium is their dark horse.
0: I I believe that was discontinued.
1: Oh, my goodness. I still have some in my bar.
0: You should keep hold of that. I definitely will now. I don't know whether I'm allowed to share this, but I'm going to do it anyway, because someone told me about this when I was on that trip. Worst case, cut (laughs) it out. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, cease and desist after. But I believe what happened, so uh, Alberta Premium, famously owned by, now these days owned by the Beam Suntory Corporation. And they have a sister brand over this side of the border called Basil Haydens. And Basil Haydens, I want to say, introduced a product a couple of years ago. I think it was the toast. And all of the extremely malted grain that was being used for dark horse is now instead being used for. That oh, whiskey, wow. or there, there's a connection there. Basically, Basil Hayden, I want to say, toast might have killed Dark Horse, which is a shame because a lot of whiskey connoisseurs sometimes feel like Basil Hayden's bottled a little low proof, mm. but that's that's up for other people to decide. It's certainly a fine whiskey there, but yeah, I had a miniature of Dark Horse, and uh, that's I'm keeping on hold of one of them because I believe it's uh, endangered at this
1: point. Oh, mm. but well, yeah, good to know but there are
0: other Albert wasn't the cask strength someone named it best whiskey in the world a couple of years Mm -hmm. back people love that I don't
1: get it in Quebec so I wouldn't know no no how do you feel about cask
0: strength anyway
1: um I think I think some people really enjoy that super high octane I'm a little bit less on the other end of that Mm
0: -hmm.
1: personally um maybe it is like I like delicate profiles I like Sipping and analyzing and, like, discovering little things that kind of, like, shine through. And I do think that sometimes, personally, it makes it a bit more difficult when you're drinking a cask strength. Mm -hmm. Um, That being said, I've been proven countless times that there are certain formats in which it really brings out like something so much more fun. Yeah. Um, and you can always dilute, I guess. I mean, you can always dilute after. Yeah. <laughs> so like sometimes I do that. So those I other whiskeys... No one's that... allowed to judge me on how I drink my spirits. Because <laughs> um, <laughs> you're
0: a super taster. So, you know, they cannot challenge that.
1: Uh, but yeah, no, I mean, I there's plenty that I love. Another that I really, really enjoy for Toronto um, is the... Pike Creek Jamaican rum cask. Ooh. yeah, Nice. Mm-hmm. You get it like a little bit more of that uh, mm-hmm. caramel-toasted like vibe. I it's bet really that cool.
0: goes great with the Angostura. Exactly. The... What are we it thinking in terms It plays
1: so much. It plays so well. Mm-hmm. Every every layer of it.
0: What are you thinking in terms of ideal... And then swap out
1: Demerara, like simple for Demerara.
0: We're going to get onto that in just a second. <laughs> <laughs> but it's a good call. This is my final question, though, on Canadian mm-hmm. Rye. ABV wise, what are we looking at as the sweet spot? So obviously strength is too far. I know a lot of whiskeys that are on the market are like 40, 43. But does that hold up in this like stirred spirit forward drink? Yes. It does? Yes. Perfect.
1: Yeah. Because just like a Manhattan, you can play around with the of Frenette and the of syrup, right? So if you like things that are a little bit less spiced, mm-hmm. then dial back. If you want a punch in the face, dial up, <laughs> dial you know? everything I mean, up. Yeah. So yeah, I think it's like a, it's a very fun cocktail to you know make your own.
0: And so Angostura Angostura, I think we all know how beloved that is, and we've covered it many times before. It's oh, amazing. Sure. That's the uh, you know, but that's the go-to bitters for this. And then you mentioned there's also going to be a little sweetening agent in mm-hmm. here too. So tell us about your preference because. Classically might have just been simple, but yeah. you, you you have a different preference here.
1: No, I'm just saying, like, depending on the the rye that you're oh, using, okay. or if you're swapping out Angostura or whatever, if you're using um, a barrel-aged, like, a, a specialty barrel, um, barrel-aged barrel whiskey, then you might want to, you know, swap out and use some Jamaray or mm-hmm. use some coconut sugar or, you know, I mean, like, it's so easy to pick and choose a variety of different sugars. There's... A Canadian whiskey called Bareface that um, has some agave influence on it. Oh. Um, I think it's like Bareface 101 or something. I don't remember. Um, but yeah, that one could be really fun to swap out and use agave syrup.
0: Oh, nice. Yeah. You know so you're I mean? basing it on the other components of the yeah. drink there. Yeah. And which decision you make first? I mean, I've never tried.
1: I've never tried what I just said, but <laughs> if someone wants to try it and message me. Let me know how it is, or I'll try it next week at work. You
0: know? It sounds like it works. It sounds like it works, am right? I, yeah,
1: exactly. <laughs>
0: well, I am going to ask you to commit to a recipe here, though, <laughs> um, and I'm going to ask you to walk us through as if you were making this uh, here for us, at the Vine Pair Bar, or here in the studio. Um, how do you feel about
1: that? Okay. I'm going to commit to this. (laughs) Don't you ever swap out, like, your martini go-to or your Manhattan go-to? In
0: terms of, like...
1: What your preference is on a specific day?
0: Or it could be the Toronto that if someone came into your bar and was like, I've heard about this cocktail, I've never had it before. What's the textbook version of this? I don't know. No, um... I was just going to say, I feel like the one that, because I was just browsing through recipes myself here, I feel like the one that I came across a lot, but it seemed weird... Was two ounces Canadian rye, a quarter ounce each of Fernet and Simple, and then two dashes bitters. But that feels like low on the Fernet.
1: Yeah, it's low on the Fernet and it's high on sugar. Yeah. I'm gonna give two scenarios. We have the walk down and the path of lower rye content whiskey, mm-hmm. um, such as like most American whiskeys or non specified Canadian whiskeys. And then the very high rye. Nice, cool, perfect. Let's we'll do that way, you know, like that. If you're like, oh, I have a great bottle of High West Double Rendezvous, you know, like you'll know. Um, so I I always incorporate very, like a classic Manhattan, um, but dial back a little bit the modifier, right? So two ounces of our base spirit in a mixing glass. Mm-hmm. So two ounces of whiskey. I normally start off with a half ounce of Frenette. I like to go nice. higher. Punchy. You know? hmm And then Angostura, I'm a little bit more reserved with. Mm-hmm. I go like two dashes. Frenette does all the talk. Angostura is just there to kind of like come and caress and add a few more warm winter spices. Nice. Right? hmm And um, I'm always shy on sugar when it comes to a uh, stirred cocktail of that nature, so I'm more of a, like, quarter ounce. Mm-hmm. Um, and then if your spirit is a bit more pronounced um, and a bit more sweet, so, like, higher corn mash bill or a, maybe a little bit thicker because of some added sugars in mm-hmm. that 9.09%, Okay, then I can just scale back that Quarter ounce of sugar to a bar spoon. Perfect. So all of those ingredients into a mixing glass of your choice. Bar spoon in hand. Julep strainer or nice hawthorn. hmm Great. I like mine served on the rocks and not up. I know, I might get <laughs> lynched. Uh, but let's go with martini glass for most humans. Chilled. Give that a good stir. Like a solid 20 seconds. Keep on refilling that ice. Ice is your best friend. Never forget that. hmm Right? Fill your mixing glass, stir, add ice, stir, add ice, stir, add ice, and then serve. It's going to be super nice, cold. That little menthol note is going to, like, really pierce through, and it'll stay cooler longer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So in
0: go. a rocks glass, that?
1: I like mine in a rocks glass on a large cube. Mm-hmm. That being said, it's because I think that that kind of drink, I don't drink super fast, so it goes a little warm too fast. For me, in a martini. Got it. Glass, in a cocktail glass. So in that sense, I like it on the rocks because then I get to sip and then it, though it dilutes, it evolves. And then I don't feel bad about drinking water at the end anyways. <laughs> it's
0: Slightly Toronto flavored water. I like it. Just, you uh, know, just that at the end.
1: Listen, Montreal water is best
0: one <laughs> I just read in terms of the cocktail. But I know, yes. I know. Because <laughs> <laughs> you know why? Because it's close to New York water, which uh, we, know is the, we know is the best, uh, or we believe to be. I don't know. We got some tap on the go here. Um, any on. garnish for that?
1: Hold on. Let me taste this water. Not bad. Not bad from a super taster. Montreal's still better. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, hilarious though, but Montreal has won awards for its Tap water?
0: Oh, I could chat about water. Know. But that's 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 <laughs> fodder for a different day. Um, Are you a water song? <laughs> no, but I've interviewed one and gone deep on that. Um yes. <laughs> we'll
1: talk about that later. <laughs> uh, uh,
0: yeah. garnish wise for that
1: anything? Uh orange zest?
0: Orange, cool. Yeah. And that's so that's for the non-descript for Canadian whiskey or perhaps American rye. I know
1: that a lot. Some people say lemon peel, I'm an orange all the way on that one. Sounds like it
0: works so much more with that combination. Yeah. And then for the full-on rye spec, the high rye
1: content. Oh, yeah. The high rye content, it's the sugar that changes.
0: Okay. So uh, yeah.
1: It's- sugar, I'll, I'll probably do a bit more of like a quarter ounce. Mm-hmm. Um,
0: but you'll stick to the half ounce of Fernet.
1: Yeah, I'll stick to the half ounce. And then like that also when you have a guest in front of you, obviously, like anything... In the larger, greater martini family, always have the discussion. Yeah. You know, not everyone, like in the same way that we ask six questions about the martini, we should be asking the questions about your Manhattan and your Toronto and, you know, any variation thereof. Mm-hmm. So some people will, like, yeah, obviously, if people have gotten used to drinking a Toronto with a quarter ounce based on some older recipes, then yeah, you should I'm know sure that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, you know, when you're discovering it for yourself, start off, as with everything, start off with lower amounts and add as you go based on your own preference. Love
0: it. Okay. any final thoughts on the Toronto before? So I can stop second guessing my pronunciation every time, but also so that we can head into our five recurring weekly questions.
1: Amazing. Um, I'd like to say that I love all my Toronto friends, that uh, I apologize for talking about your cocktail before you. Um, (laughs) And one day we'll be able to talk about a Montreal cocktail at some point. Mm -hmm. But uh, Let's do
0: it right now before we do, actually. might not be a cocktail, but I hear there's a drink that's making the rounds, a shot. Oh. It's making the rounds in Montreal. Or is it not only Montreal?
1: I mean, it's no longer just Montreal. At least I don't think so. I hope not. Uh, One of the best matches ever is agave spirits with elderflower liqueur. So there's that. Fifty fifty? Mm, I'd say like two thirds a third.
0: Of the agave two-thirds? Yes. Uh, any two. of these chilled or this is just room temperature
1: in Oh, my God. Agave? in Montreal. No, no, no. Room uh, temp. Come on. We're just like <laughs> serve it out. I mean, obviously, if if you want to do everything like really well, you can always put some pebble dice mm-hmm. in your fine strainer and pour all your liquids through there into your shot glass. Super quick, efficient way of chilling, <laughs> shots. <laughs> FYI, mm-hmm. but yeah, no, just straight up. Yeah,
0: fantastic. No
1: need to be chilled. But my favorite though is Miss Callen Mmm. Does
0: that have a name? Like the, the, the I know there's a
1: lot. No, of, like, there are shop no names. names. For them, no. but like that's good. Unlike
0: yeah. the Prairie Fire, which is another tequila shot up there over in Alberta. Oh, Prairie. What is that? Tequila and Tabasco. Ugh. Delicious.
1: Amazing.
0: You'll suffer the next day.
1: You know what? I mean, at our new bar, Bon Delire, we are definitely bringing back the pickle back. Nice. Yeah, we have some uh, good pickles at the bar. So. <laughs> I love it. And loads of whiskey, so it's great. Picklebacks. <laughs> nice. Yeah.
0: All right, before we go down a, a very, very deep rabbit hole on shots, which we could easily do here. Oh, so easily. Um, let me kick it off with question number one here for you, Kate. Oh. What style or category of spirit typically enjoys the most real estate on your back bar?
1: Um, interestingly enough, rum. Quebec is the largest consumer of rum in Canada. So we have a lot of different rums. Oddly enough, though, not because it's necessarily the most popular spirit right now. So the most popular spirit, as in m- pretty much all of North America, mm-hmm. is tequila and mezcal. Yep. Right? So we have a lot of those. But in terms of, like, space on the back bar, it's definitely rum uh, by simple fact that age affects rum so much and that there are so many brands out there that we work with that have a crazy beautiful plethora of specialty casks and like really fun agings. nice it really yeah. is
0: it's such a broad and wonderful category it really is yeah. yeah
1: and you need you need
0: even for a lot of those classic you know our tiki drinks and stuff yeah. like you need at least three per cocktail anyway exactly, so like it makes a lot of sense so
1: you're like okay I definitely need my you know more intense one you need a few spiced ones because there's always that person who's like, I want a spiced cow. Mm-hmm. Um And obviously if you only have one variety, they're like, I really wanted that one. they <laughs> are like, okay, fine. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think like, but also our back bars at Atwater Cocktail Club and Milk Lake Cocktail Bar are really large.
0: Oh, nice. So that's a good thing, yeah. right? Like-, like
1: at Atwater we have, like, I haven't looked at last month's inventory. Final number bottle count, but um or item count I should say. But yeah, like last month we were near six hundred. And then at Milky Way we're a bit more around like the five hundred mark. Um and we have probably almost like just under a hundred rums at at Waters. I know.
0: I need to get up there.
1: I know, and it looks like nothing because you're looking at the back <laughs> and I'm like sometimes I'm like, how are there that many bottles? <laughs> and nothing is well no false. I was going to say, nothing has fallen yet. There are a few casualties. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Fantastic.
0: Yeah. A few. All right. Question number two Which ingredient or tool do you believe to be the most undervalued in a bartender's arsenal?
1: I don't know about undervalued, but my Im- most important tool and um, that I will never travel without, especially when I'm doing guest shifts, is my jigger. I can use anyone's Hawthorns, I can use anyone's mixing glass, I can get on board with most shakers. No problem. Your bar spoon. I'll even use that little red tip one. I don't, like, it's fine. It's not sexy, but <laughs> my jigger. I use a level jigger. I love it. I've tested out absolutely every single one of my cocktails in it. I know exactly where the the line is, like the menace for every single varied pour. Mm-hmm. And I know that it as, is actually that because I've weighed them. So, I mean, my jigger is my tool. Like some people, it's their little measuring spoons. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, so mine is my jigger. Love it. Yeah.
0: Question number three. What's the most important piece of advice you've received while working in this industry?
1: One of the most important things that I've ever been told and that I fumbled on a few times, but I think now I, I get it, is concerning like cocktail weeks and festivals and, you know, like tales of the cocktail when you go for the first time you want to do everything and it and this this answer relates to a lot in our in our career path you want to do everything you want to see everyone you want to go to every single event you want to drink everything and in no way shape or form is that possible you will always miss out on something there's always something that you will not get to see do a person you will not be able to see or talk to And that's okay. And if you're going to survive this industry and our cocktail weeks and our BCBs and tails and whatever, and if you're going to survive working in a bar where you meet so many humans and make such fast friends with so many people, get regulars, have people come to visit you from out of town, you have to learn to say no and you have to learn to be okay with the fact that you will not accomplish all of it. And that is just so important for your own stability and your own mental health. And it's okay. Mm-hmm. FOMO should be should not be a thing. I mean, you can have it a little, but I mean, don't go chasing it. Yeah. Yeah.
0: No, that's, a, that's really great advice. And especially like that FOMO. It really subsides the next day when your friend who did make it to the party uh, might be feeling a little rough and you're feeling a lot better than them. Like, there ain't no FOMO when it comes to hangovers or just the the, yeah. the other effects of spending a long night out.
1: I mean, don't get me wrong. Sometimes I'm like, oh, man, I really, really wish I'd been able to make it out to that. And, I mean, I love them hearing the stories. And, okay, fine, I wasn't part of it. But mm-hmm. you know what? I'm super happy that they happened. And it doesn't make me any less happy for all my friends who were involved.
0: Mm-hmm. And there will, the, these events come around every they year, so don't around.
1: worry. And you can write people. You can ask them the questions that you were, like, you know, that were, that, that were on your mind for so long. And so many of us are super happy to get emails and questions and messages and... Master distillers and brand ambassadors love getting them. And mm-hmm. It's part of their job to answer. Well, maybe not the master distillers, but you know, I mean, they have someone but that helps. They have people that help <laughs> them, and uh, and yeah. So I mean, don't be shy, ask, and when in doubt, just go to bed. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Fantastic advice. Um, all right, penultimate question for you here today: If you could only visit one last bar in your life, what would it be?
1: So funny that you use the word penultimate. Um, so, because I think I I put a lot of thought into this one. There's so many amazing bars in the world that I've been lucky enough to travel to. And I love my own bars. Don't get me wrong. I could spend every day in any of my bars. But if tomorrow someone said, you will never be able to visit a bar again, it would have to be in Puerto Rico and La Factoria. Mm. And that's why I laugh about Penultimate, because there is another amazing bar in San Juan, that is La Penultima, mm-hmm. uh, that I love a lot. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, La Facto, because first of all, like they're they're family to me. I love them so much. And they've been so amazing with all of us uh, at the Barocco Group and at Water Cocktail Club and all of my bartenders and myself included. But also it's a bar that is like five bars in one. Mm-hmm. So it's like, if it were my last night, I have a wine bar. I have the bar where I just can like chat with everyone and stand up on bars and I have a bar where there's like salsa going on and I can learn how to dance and there's a live like live band and I can get you know a cocktail and a pineapple but I can also get a really amazing mojito and I can also drink a beer and not feel shamed and then at the end there's like a club a mini (laughs) club so I mean yeah like I think it it would definitely have to be that and uh, yeah it's like one of the bars where I feel very much at home always
0: such an amazing space Carlos if you're listening return my calls papi we've been trying to get you on the show (laughs) papi (laughs) no it's a favourite of mine and do spend a decent amount of time down in Puerto Rico so I'd like to always like to head over there yeah Um, well here we are final question of the day for you Kate if you knew that the next cocktail you drank
1: was going to be your last what would you order or make I don't have an answer. (laughs) I am absolutely unable to play favorites in life. There's a time, a space, a place for everything. And it would be a darn shame for something to ever be my last of last of last. I do, however, think that the last thing that I truly probably would enjoy sipping on is wine. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. With
0: bubbles in it, perhaps? In France or could it
1: be celebratory yes please (laughs) yeah if it were my last I hope that it would be in a perfectly joyful context Mm -hmm. and then definitely a shared bottle of sparkling nice surprising
0: how often that how popular that is as a route for this but I get your point exactly like it's hard to pick one cocktail yeah and I mean sparkling wine is just a daiquiri would be up there
1: yeah as bagliato or any form of like vermouth Mm -hmm. and sparkling wine which is like (laughs) all my staff know i sit down at the bar they're like do you want to get a a a get a spritz and i'm like actually (laughs) yeah you know (laughs) um i could drink a french 75 cognac base please yeah like so many amazing ones as you can tell i do love effervescence Mm -hmm. i think i'm a bubbly person it very much is reflected in that
0: okay very much very much the truth there that's very much been our experience today so thank you so much for joining us in the studio
1: thank you so much for having me cheers cheers
0: okay i know what you're thinking folks that was a lot of info but here's the good news every single episode of vine Pairs cocktail college is published on vinepair.com as a transcript so you can check it out there all over again if you enjoy listening to the show anywhere near as much as we enjoy making it go ahead and hit subscribe and please leave a rating or review wherever you get your podcasts whether that's apple spotify or stitcher and please tell your friends now for the credits cocktail college is recorded in new york city and produced by myself and darby seaside who also composed our awesome theme music just give that a listen folks I also want to give a huge shout out to everyone on the Vinepair team, especially co-founders Adam Teeter and Josh Malin, editor-in-chief Joanna Shirino, and art director Daniel Grinberg, who designed our killer logo. Finally, thank you, listener, for making it this far and for giving this whole thing a purpose. Until next time.